I'm Julian Brandt, and you're listening to Scouted Chance. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode six of Scouted Says. As always, I'm Jack Grimsey alongside Connor Garrett. How's it going, Connor? I'm great, thanks. Really here, really happy to be here yet again. Um, and uh, how are you? Good, good. Uh, looking forward to the Champions League the next couple days. Of course, now it's Tuesday. I think you'll probably hear the episode after tonight's Champions League. And today we're happy to have Lewis Ambrose on the pod. You can find him on Twitter at LG Ambrose. He works at One Football in Berlin. How's it going, Lewis? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me on. You said you would be our most average guest ever, but you did also say you're a scouted football fanatic so we're very pleased to have you yeah most average guest ever wasn't a promise so don't get your hopes up all right we have unlimited space on soundcloud now thanks to steve so shout out to at Maradonomics, our australian overlord at scouted football for buying that so we can bring you a bunch of scouted chance content let's kick it off with bundesliga that's what we usually talk about but now we have three Bundesliga people on the pod instead of just two. So, guys, Dortmund and Gladbach. Dembele was the star as Dortmund won 4-1. Uh, yeah, well, Dortmund obviously have had a bit of a rough patch. And, well, if you could call the whole season a rough patch so far. But they came out really strong against Gladbach after conceding early on the first six minutes. Uh, Pyramid Aubameyang equalized pretty much immediately. And then it was pretty much plain, plain sailing with a large amount of credit due to Usman Dembele, who probably gave his best performance in a Dortmund shirt so far. Yeah, it's been a really great season for him so far. And like you said the other day, maybe his best performance, I think he's probably been their best signing of the summer from this, you know, this past summer, they brought in a lot of players, but I think he's probably hit the ground running the fastest, I guess. Yeah, literally the fastest. Um, but uh, otherwise, some of the signings have not played so much. If the younger guys, M- Mikel Marino and Emre Moore, haven't really featured. And Dembele obviously already has experience in a top league, even though he's only 19, coming from Ligon. And yeah, Marco Royce has been injured. Andre Schuller has had a bit of an injury. So Dembele has been absolutely crucial on the wing and... Now that he's playing with Royce and Aubameyang, he's only going to get better. Yeah, that whole team has really been injured, I think. Uh, a <laughs> lot of injuries to defenders. And I like how you mentioned Dabelli's experience. He really has experience being the star of a team and, you know, I don't know, making it happen, I guess. Yeah, I think that's a big thing for his development, really. Already he's probably ahead of other players his age because he has played not just regular football but with a lot of responsibility actually i'd say maybe that even weighed him down at dortmund to start with because he turned up there were injuries to other attacking players and it's likely felt like he had to do too much maybe to impress the fans or tuchel or maybe because he felt the burden of the team not performing well um and i don't think it's a coincidence that Probably, yeah, his strongest performance so far came with Royce back in the side, came with Aubameyang in form, where Dembele didn't have to perform for the team to win. Yeah, I mean, I've been uh, pleasantly surprised by how he's made the step up uh, this season. I thought, like someone like Emre Moore, maybe, or obviously you've mentioned Mikel Marina, who hasn't really featured as much. I I thought it might be a little bit too much of a step up to the Bundesliga for Dembele, but yeah, he's really, really 
um, had some great moments. And I think if he just manages to get that consistency in his game and just sort of improve his decision-making, you've got one of the best players in the Bundesliga in a couple of years right there. So that's uh, obviously um, a really exciting thing. Obviously on Gladbach's side, there are quite a number of players that are uh, under 23 that featured. Um, and obviously we're going to be profiling for you in the next book. Um, so I think Nico Elvedi was... Uh, among the team, didn't have his best performance at all. Um, I mean, obviously, if you're a defender and you, you concede four goals, uh, for the second season running away to Dortmund, um, you're not going to do particularly well there. But, um, yeah, he, he's, he's had a decent season considering uh, the circumstances um, of, you know, who the, uh, the coach is. And, um, yeah, I think mean, that was one of his weak performances. But then you've, you've got guys like, uh, I don't know, Mo the Hood and... Uh, Andreas Christensen as well, and but like both teams are full of young players. So as a as scouted the website uh, and podcast and handbook and whatever, that that game was clearly probably one of the most interesting to watch at the weekend. Um, I think Moderhood's performance was really encouraging. He obviously didn't really get in the team at the start of the season under Schubert, which was confusing because he was such a key player last year. But I guess Schubert was trying to figure out how he'd like to fix the midfield around without Granit Xhaka in it. And De Hood has really sort of played well the last few weeks. And against Dortmund, again, possibly the club he'll be playing for next season. Um, he linked play. He created the, the whole move for the opening goal, which really shook Dortmund, you'd have thought, early on. And he just has some sort of innate understanding of space and time what's around him and it's huge for Gladbach yeah it really is he's going to be an important player for them going forward the thing about the who this season has been that he sort of had the struggles at the start with I think it was almost like a a thing between him and Schubert because after his breakout season he maybe sort of had his head turned by like interest especially from Liverpool um I mean what young player isn't going to be interested by a big move um that said, uh, he probably should have maybe been applying himself a little bit more over the summer. So, I mean, you can understand it from both sides, but I think like if you're a coach and you have lost probably one of the best midfielders in the league um, in Granit Xhaka, then you need to like try and build on the midfielders that you do have. And for my money, Motohud is the best midfielder at Gladbach, um, and that means he should be in the team because it's not like it's not like the system doesn't work for him because the point. The reason he was so good last season as well was because this season did work for him. So play him and make him a key part of that team and then you're not going to um, have as many problems as you, you do have. I mean, I do I do think it is getting to the point where, I mean, his contract runs to 2018 um, and there's interest from Dortmund. I'd assume it's still there from Liverpool, um, maybe even from like Arsenal or someone. Um There'll be any number of clubs that want to bring him in because he's just a super talented player and he's very young. Uh, I mean, he turns 21 in January um, so, and he's already going to have like a year and a half of top-level experience by that point. Um, I really just... I, I, I think it's been mismanaged um, by the club um, and I think, he, yeah, to cash in isn't necessarily the worst idea unless there, there is some sort of hope of a long-term contract for them. Yeah, and if you're in Gladbach's position, you have to get some money for a player like Daoud, as opposed to being like Dortmund and letting him go for free to Bayern. You just can't do that. 
in in the summer there were rumors that he has a 10 million euro release clause active next summer um obviously we don't know if that's actually true or not but there were strong hints at it from various parts of the german media there is already interest in him when the price was three times that or he simply wasn't for sale so do we think dehoud should be sold in january if that clause actually does exist should Gladbach look to sell him in january rather than lose him for just 10 million in the summer yeah if that's what the terms are i think you definitely have to cash in for 30 that's a lot of money yeah i mean i would say so too but then maybe you weigh it up against the cost of not being in europe next year or something like that you know it it's a big call to probably make and then again if the interest is even there from clubs willing to pay 25 30 knowing that they could get him for 10 if they just wait a few more months yeah but the thing is maybe some some club out there will pay 30 and if you're going to wait to pay 10 he's not going to be there yep and right now gladback in 13th they have just 13 points through 13 matches so depending on where they are in january i think maybe they'll evaluate that then uh, speaking of young players, we're going to move on to Darmstadt. They lost 2-0 to Hamburg at the weekend, and manager Norbert Meyer was sacked. I think Connor put this in. Maybe it's more of a chance for their youngsters to shine. Yeah, I mean, as in, the, I think Darmstadt are not particularly the youngest team. I was looking at the, the younger players in their squad yesterday when Meyer was actually... Yeah, their average their average age last match was 27.2. Yeah, um, so I was, looking, I was just looking through, like, who do they actually have, and... There's only two that are sort of around the first team squad, really. I mean, you've got like Felix Plata, who I think is injured at the moment, um, who was sort of interesting at Schalke a couple of years ago, but yeah, he hasn't really pulled up any trees for them. But you look at uh, Lazlo Kleinheisler and Antonio Cholak, um, who, I mean, the, the latter of whom um, played sort of a role at the start of the season um, and was, yeah, looked okay, um, having come from Hoffenheim, I think. And Kleinheiser is obviously on loan from Bremen. It was a very good player for Hungary at the Euros. Um, so you, you'd have expected him to be able to build on that. And I think Meyer is just a very, very limited coach. Um, his like most recent sort of stints have been at Bielefeld, Fortuna Dusseldorf, and so on. And you know they're not the uh, not the biggest clubs with the most resources. And I think he's not really used to playing with that much talent and that's probably why Darmstadt brought him in because I mean other than Klein Heisler they don't really have anyone that's particularly good um, but um, I think if you're looking at getting the best out of these two you probably need someone who's a little bit more aware of what's going on so it, it, I think it could be a good thing for both of them like if, if a coach comes in and is like right I want to make sure that you two are like the main parts of my team because I think based on talent they probably could be um, I think it actually could work out for them but it does just depend who they bring in as coach their interim coach Ramon Berndroth his last coaching stint was at FSV Frankfurt 2 and that was from July 2009 to November 2010 I mean we were talking about Gladbach earlier and you know Schubert made the step up from um, like uh, managing the under 23s to um, you know the, the full team and obviously he's great so I think Maybe not necessarily a. It's not necessarily uh, problematic to becoming a Bundesliga manager that you don't have any experience at any level. I I don't think he will be the uh, the the Darmstadt manager for long. I mean, um, there were reports today that Bruno Labbadia has already said no to them, but that does mean they are looking 
for somebody to take over permanently. You'd think someone with some experience keeping clubs up, that kind of thing. It, yeah, I, mean, I agree. Don't... I think I think it's just sh- just a short term fix, and they're looking for someone. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, Ingolstadt a poor Hamburg, a poor, but always somehow escape and have much better players than they're actually playing to. It's the same applies to Wolfsburg and Bremen. I think Darmstadt are probably going to go down. And regardless of whether or not Cholak or Kleinheisler or um, Leon Guevara, who's been playing uh, at the back for them as well, regardless of whether or not they are currently the most talented players in that team, they need more guidance from some sort of coach who will provide that. And they also need to plan for next season because there's a really, really big chance they'll be going down. And if they do, those guys, if they can keep them, are going to be crucial to coming back up again. Yeah, you may as well get the young players involved now to kind of train them up for that promotion campaign. Connor, you have anything else on, on Darmstadt, Hamburg? Um, well, I mean, obviously it's Hamburg's first win of the, uh, the season in 13 attempts uh, in the league. So that probably worth mentioning um it's pretty diabolical yeah that's a good um, point but uh yeah I'm, again i still think the outlook's pretty grim for them with gizdal yeah and it's like a month and a half since alan halilovic has played any part I, like obviously you guys as well but i was really excited to see this huge talent coming over to germany to develop further and he's not even had the opportunity to do so and it doesn't look like he's going to get it under gizdal either so that's a bit of a disappointment. Yeah, his career's kind of stalling it as a shame. I know we had him in the first handbook, and yeah, definitely was looking to watch him there. He's like, I don't know, we could move on to the Premier League, I guess. He's kind of like Adama Traore at Middlesbrough. Now, I mean, he's now getting a chance. He's a step further. He moved away from Barcelona like Hililovic. But it was last year he went to Aston Villa. Yeah, Villa were terrible. He got injured. He didn't play. But now he's, he's shining at Middlesbrough. Yeah, he's been not just good but he's been good in important fixtures or would say fixtures against big clubs challenging games um and it's really exciting for Barra. it's also really exciting for Traore like I first saw him actually in the what the UEFA Youth League like the old version of it playing against Arsenal um and he pretty much tore Arsenal apart uh the youth team up against Hector Bellerin and he did the same at the Emirates a few weeks ago in Arsenal Junior 0-0 with Barra and Adama was probably the best and the most dangerous player on the pitch for either side. He was absolutely lethal on the break, running into space, running at defenders. His ball control is excellent. He is he has pace to burn and he's pretty much got stuff to terrify any defence. Yeah, I think 1v1, there's not a lot of players scarier as a fullback than Adama Traore coming at you. But fortunately, football's not a one one-on-one game for his opponents because Trier's game is very limited. He's a great dribbler, but he really doesn't like to share the ball. <laughs> yeah. Um... Yeah, so looking at his stats, he has 48 successful dribbles, which is and like 81% success, so it's topping the Premier League, but um, Dimitri Paye has 35 dribbles, and he's created 47 chances. Adama's only created three chances. Yeah, and ultimately that's what's going to win you points win your games and I don't know, even get you a move to a bigger club than Middlesbrough or really have you make the difference in the most important moments. Middlesbrough played last night against uh, against Hull and Adama was actually dropped um, for Victor Fisher, who 
hasn't had the impact you'd have hoped at Middlesbrough so far, but played pretty well. And I think it's telling that uh, Karanka knew Hull would turn up at the Riverside and put 10 men behind the ball. So he didn't even bother playing Adama, who, talented as he is right now, is way, way more effective if he has some open space and not actually being incisive in any way. Yeah, the thing the thing I noticed last year watching Adama at Aston Villa was that he's he's so limited like that, but I would like to see him tried as a center forward because he like you said, he has pace and if he could get a through ball played behind the defense, he wouldn't have to worry about completing a pass or completing a cross because he would just basically have the keeper to beat. Yeah, definitely. I think that could work. I mean, against at the Emirates against Arsenal, he almost played behind Alvaro Negredo, it felt like at times. Um, and he, that's why he was so dangerous. Almost Negredo experienced strong centre forward as a target man and have Adama, even from the flank, just having very advanced and running beyond him. And that's probably where Barrow would get the most out of him. Yeah, flick some headers onto him, see if he can run onto it. I know Connor also wants to catch up on the Sherwood revolution. So we'll drop down the pyramid a couple levels before we go back to Arsenal. Uh, yeah, I mean, actually, uh, obviously, Tim Sherwood, a figure of much derision, um, and probably quite fairly so. Um, I mean, obviously, Jack, you have personal experiences of following a club who he coaches, um, and not not sure if you want to relive that, so um, let's not talk about his stint in Aston Villa, but uh, we spoke... Uh, we did go to the FA Cup final, that was fun. Going there was fun. The the game was fun. I thought the final itself was quite fun. Yeah, I'm sure you did. Um, obviously, a few weeks ago we spoke about what it could mean for Swindon. Um, as in the fact that they are supposedly like looking at playing more experienced players, playing uh players that are potentially a little bit older. Today they've actually signed uh, a Northern Irish player from Notts County on loan. I think is um Reece Sharp. Um, so that is interesting. He's, he's 22, um, so actually not necessarily the, the most experienced player. So it's interesting considering what Sherwood said. But uh, I mean, the results have sort of picked up a little bit. Um, there have been a couple of heavy losses, like crashing out of the FA Cup to Eastleigh, uh, which was not delightful in the slightest. Um, but there have also been a couple of wins against Charlton and against. Um, Bradford, uh, which was a great free kick by um, Brendan Rodgers' son, um, who you know isn't particularly great, uh, we'll whisper it, um, but is uh, also in the age range for scouted apparently. So check that one out. Um, and yeah, I mean, what else? Um, we've been a couple of draws. I think the, the key player has been Lars Figaro, who I think, if you're going to look at any player in the squad, he's the one that is going to make the step up to the Premier League one day. Uh, the goalkeeper has just been brilliant all season um, and also just turned 23. So um, we have got another year or so to talk about him, if you guys want to. Yeah, definitely him. And maybe we'll catch Roger's son in the third scouted handbook. Oh, no, he's, he's going to be a bit <laughs> too old by then. I think by the time we release the oh, second, no. he'll be 24. So. Yeah. Also, he's not very good. Shame. So it's, it's not that I much. Guess, yeah. <laughs> I'm honestly a bit surprised that he's not playing for Celtic because Brendan Rodgers strikes me like the exact kind of man 
who would play his son no matter how bad he is or how big the club is. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting point. Also, it's not like Scottish football's any good, really. So, I mean, Scott Sinclair is tearing it up for Celtic. Exactly, a sign of quality in the league. Um, I think he was actually signed because the, the club's owner is friends with Brendan Rodgers. I mean, he seems to be friends with everyone. Um, and um, <laughs> basically, he was like, oh, if we sign your son, can we get loan players from Liverpool? And then I think now, obviously, from Celtic, it might be useful as well. So, um, yeah, if you look at it that way, then it's potentially makes more sense than having a player who's not very talented. But Yeah, you know, there's <laughs> benefits to in other areas. Friends with Sherwood and Rogers. He's just somehow befriended the most vulnerable managers in Premier League history. <laughs> uh, what a club! Um, yeah, shall we go on to Arsenal? Yeah, yeah. Let's get back to the Premier League and Arsenal. They're in second so far. It's been a pretty good season. Yeah, and three points behind Chelsea. We we overtook Liverpool this weekend thanks to their oh. their very enjoyable game at Bournemouth. Um, one for the neutrals, I think you'd say. Uh, yeah, Arsenal are doing pretty well. It's not always been pretty to watch, but especially at the beginning of the season, before Alexis was in any kind of rhythm, before Mesut Ozil was available to play. And as you said, Liverpool beat Arsenal the opening weekend of the season. The next weekend was the 0-0 draw against Leicester. Um, so since then, we've scored in every game except Middlesbrough. We're, I think, the second top-scoring team in the Premier League now, which is incredible when you look at how Arsenal have performed in front of goal the last couple of years. And overall, it's hard to complain. With the Champions Leagues tonight, we'll almost definitely finish second in the group, which means we'll almost definitely draw Barcelona. And if we win the group, we'll probably draw uh, Bayern Munich anyway, because that's what we do. In the league, yeah, Man City are dropping probably more points than people expected them to. Liverpool showed their frailty at the weekend and Antonio Conte is refusing to play anything but the same 11 players every week. So we'll see how that lasts. And as long as Arsenal can stay kind of close to the top, you'd be a bit of a fool to completely rule them out, I think. Not to say that they're the favourites or anything close to that, but there's a chance. No, they're definitely in the mix and 31 points, just three behind Chelsea. I think if Arsenal, they can kind of hang around until April, May, if they're in that top two, top three with, there's that gap, or, or sorry, March, April, not April, May, but if they're in that, you know, Wenger, Wenger's notorious for a late season surge. Yeah, and that's kind of the key. That's probably where Arsenal have fallen off the last couple of years. It's after a busy winter, the injuries hit or form dips and you go through February and January and some of the results tail off and then Arsenal come back again in the final two months of the season. Hopefully this year is a bit different and there's not so much coming back required. And if so, then I think we'll we'll all be pretty happy. I mean, a lot of Arsenal fans kind of get uppity about not winning the league and stuff, but ultimately when you're competing with not one team or two teams, but Chelsea, Man City, Liverpool, Man United apparently, uh, all have ambitions to win the title and only one of them can. So to expect to win the league is, in my opinion, completely unreasonable. But the least you can hope for is that you're close and you're challenging and that you can really go into the last four or five games still thinking it's on and you've got something to be excited about. 
Yeah, I think in the, in a league like the Premier League, it's kind of ridiculous for any team's fans to expect to be able to win. You yeah. know, even if you're Chelsea, you're Man City, you're Man United, Liverpool this year, you know, and you definitely can't expect, but you can expect to be involved in the title race. I think yeah, that's exactly. definitely fair to say. Um, Connor, I don't know how much you've seen of Arsenal this year. Um, little bits and pieces. Um, I think they've been... Uh, impressive in a few games. I mean, obviously, the the one that springs to mind is the Chelsea game, uh, which was sort of the start. Like, the, is what forced Conte to find his eleven in his formation that's doing so well at the moment. Um, but that really looked like a team that was a contender. Um, but then I think, especially in the past few weeks, there's been a couple of sort of limp performances, and especially um, the the game against Paris Saint Germain a couple of weeks ago is just dreadful to watch. Um, so. I think it's a little, neither here or there. I think once you get players like Shaka becoming more important to the the team, I mean, I've already laid my flag down on this podcast and said that he was one of the best midfielders in the Bundesliga last season. And for my money, it's like I, there's either very little difference or the Bundesliga is a slightly better league at the moment than the Premier League. So uh, I would say it's a bit mad that Shaka's not been key for them so far. Um, and I, I would expect that to happen at some point. And when that does, um, like assuming that that, I think the the main problem area of the team does always seem to appear to be that that the midfield pivot. As soon as that can be sorted out, um, there's absolutely no reason why Arsenal couldn't go on and do it rather than uh, a Man City or a Chelsea or a Liverpool. I think, Lewis, you uh, raised obviously Liverpool's mental frailty, and I think that will be uh, important. I mean, even just to be honest, on the pitch, like although they've got a very very good attack, they are quite weak. I think in several positions and I think uh, the fact that you've got like Emre Chan being one of the leading lights of that team uh, supposedly is a hint at a weakness in the squad I think um, but yeah I mean it's it's a very tough race to call this year I think so I'm not going to do it <laughs> No and to be sort of scouted centric for a minute like the good guest that I am um there are some really good youth performances from Arsenal too. I mean, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, who's still only 23 somehow, um, he's now in the team more regularly. He's scored more goals this season than any other season in his Arsenal career so far, which probably says more about the other seasons he's played for Arsenal than this one. But he's now looking to nail down a place in the side. If he's not playing, then Alex Awobi is, who was really, really crucial in the first two months, especially when Alexis was up front and everything hadn't quite gelled together. Iwobi is just such a fantastic talent. Him and Kalichi for Nigeria the next few years is going to be so much fun to watch how that develops. But he's tailed off the last few weeks, so now he's getting a break and hopefully he benefits from that. You can tell there's a big, big difference without Hector Bellerin in the side. He's unbelievable at 21 years old. So there's a hell of a lot to be excited for. I mean, Callum Chambers is now down a place at Middlesbrough as well. He's starting every week. So hopefully we'll see those guys continue to perform and Arsenal can keep having top youth players like we've all seen in the past. And then the FA Cup draw is against Preston North End. So even more young players hopefully will get a chance in that after being knocked out of the League Cup. Yeah, who of the current sort of <clears throat> youth players that, you know, are sort of on the brink of the team, do you think, do you, would you back to make the jump next? Next? I think Rob Holding seems the most obvious just because of 
how much competition there is in his position. Uh, Arsenal are currently one injury away from having to play him. So that would be the logical next step for holding anyway. Other than that, Maitland-Niles, who was on loan at Ipswich all of last season, is really good. He's versatile. He can play right wing or centre midfield, and he's played right back in the League Cup so far this season. Really athletic, really, really intelligent player as well to play in those different positions and a member of the England youth setup. The same goes for Chris Willock, who's played in the League Cup. Really, really great winger. Tricky, intelligent, good vision, which is something I think you don't see a lot of in youth players is when they can dribble and they can keep the ball for themselves. They don't always have their head up. They don't always see a pass, but Willock certainly does. Um, but probably just ahead of him right now is someone most people have actually heard of already is in Jeffrey and Adelaide with Uwobi Oxlade-Chamberlain, 20 and 23, playing as Arsenal's first choice wingers a lot of the time at the moment. Ren Adelaide is probably only also one injury, maybe two, from almost starting Premier League games. He'll probably be needed over the winter period. We'll probably see his Premier League debut at some point this season. Um, he's very similar to Awobi stylistically, the way he carries the ball and joins in in possession. And hopefully that could be someone that we see soon. I really hope so, because he's really exciting to watch. Definitely. It is good to hear about those guys. Coming up through the youth system, I think especially for Arsenal fans, as they know, Fenger is sometimes reluctant to spend. But they got a Champions League match today. Just want to touch on that. They're going to be playing FC Basel of Switzerland. And does Sado Dumbia worry you? Um, yeah. I, I mean, I don't think he's... He's not as good as people who play a lot of FIFA would think. Um but he's incredibly quick and certainly when he was playing in Russia he was scoring goals for fun so yeah he does yeah I think I mean he's not as good as he is in ultimate team or whatever but he is he is a dangerous he's powerful he's pacey decent finisher and then uh, Mark Yanko another one of their forwards he's way too old for us to really have any right to talk about but my old roommate always uh would troll me in FIFA with him, so shout out to Yanko. <laughs> a very tall on team, uh, to Basel. I'm going to leave. Yeah, please do. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, I think you'd expect Arsenal to pick up three points. That's going to be, I mean, obviously David last week made a bold prediction saying Arsenal would go out of the League Cup. I'm going to make a bold prediction this week. Arsenal are going to go through in the Champions League. <laughs> um, I, I think Arsenal will get through. I, we'll see how strong of a side Wenger picks. Uh, tonight, Tuesday. Personally, I'd hope that he would rest Alexis and Mazurzil. Arsenal are relying on Ludogorets to get something uh, against PSG away um, to have any chance of winning the group. So it feels like that's not worth it. And, you know, as we've already said, you can win the group and still draw Bayern Munich this year. There, there is a difference between finishing top and second, but it's not as big as it once was. So Real Madrid or Dortmund will finish second in their group or Barcelona have won their group, but Man City are second in that group. Um, yeah, so ultimately it doesn't matter as much as it has in the past. And with another result from elsewhere required, I think Arsenal would probably be smart to rest a couple of key players tonight. 
Yeah, they should be able to get through with um, with a second choice eleven, I think, especially because Paris kind of in the same situation. They've been struggling in the league, so maybe they'll do a similar thing, and it will kind of be up to Ludogorets and Basel to see who can win that Europa League spot, maybe with Good either with a draw both. or by having yeah, by not conceding a, a ton of goals. Because Ludogorets' goal difference minus nine right now, Basel minus six. They're both on two points. I don't know what their results were. Oh, they're on two points. So I think they, they probably drew against each other. Um, yeah, so maybe it goes to road goals because the table I'm yeah. looking at has Ludogorets third. Yeah, so I guess Ludogorets are leading on away goals right now. Um, <laughs> so they're going to have to... Even though they have a three goal difference inferiority to yeah. Vassal. It's funny. Because, don't talk because about you really yeah. yeah, don't talk about that because it's come to hold minds at the moment. Um, so... Rest in peace, Europa League 2016-17. Connor's been triggered. <laughs> I he just rest in peace the, the whole Europa League. Like Connor, you do know the competition will continue to go it on. Doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter. I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to win anyway. I'm not, I'm not watching it. Screw that. Se- Sevilla going to make the last 16 of the Champions League and still find a way to win the Europa League, I think. <laughs> it was like when Barcelona's second team won the Liga Adelante and they couldn't go up because Barcelona were in it. Like, what if <laughs> what if their second team got promoted and then did the, the Europa League? They're like, all right. I mean, it's theoretically, us this time. I don't know if that could happen. Like, could Barcelona be? Could they win the Copa del Rey and then go into the Europa League? Yeah, I don't, that's interesting. Maybe not allowed. I don't they compete in the Copa del Rey. Yeah, they do. Well, I'd assume they probably would be able to, though. I'm not sure. Like, I think if you're owned by the same organization... I, I read an article about that, about, uh, I think it's in the latest edition of Elf Freunde, saying that Leipzig might not be allowed to play in Europe because Red Bull Salzburg are there already. <laughs> oh but my then God. I, I assume they would find a way to just kick Salzburg out of the competition. But yeah, I'm yeah sure. that, that, would, that would be one of the best things to ever happen. Because their financial fair play statistics are close, but they they are in line. You know, they could have yeah, gone I'm, over, but they 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 played it right to the line. Yeah, I'm sure they knew exactly what they were doing. And I don't think they expected to be in Europe next year either. No, that's true. Maybe they expected to be close to there. I don't know. I feel like everyone predicted them. No, ninth no, no, this no. Year. I, I predicted them fourth. I think or fifth or something like that. So I think. That's not that wrong. That slip picks or it didn't happen. That's why I'm saying like to all I, these people. I officially who predicted that them to finish eighth, but then I told someone they would finish sixth. I was reminded last week. So that doesn't really count. D- no, exactly. That's I, I, I'm undermining myself. Uh, um, let's, let's, I'm, I'm finding the link right now. And then again, I didn't pick Hertha to be in third, but they are again right now. You had that on the script. I guess that's that's worth mentioning. Yeah, Connor, um, the the plan for the episode here. You, you meant you mentioned Herta being in third, and highlighted a couple of the under twenty three players. And Mitchell Weiser didn't get a shout out, and I'm a little bit disappointed. Um, I forgot to mention Zinan Kurt as well, but he hasn't been playing for them that much though. If you if you're interested in reading something for Herta, my piece for Pace Soccer is going to be coming out this week. So. It's a big, big look into them, and I can do some self-promotion on this podcast. Well, I, for one, will be reading it. Will or yeah. won't? I couldn't understand you. You said Will. Okay. Oh, I thought Connor was just going to say he wasn't. 
thought about it, but um. All right, appreciate it. Appreciate it, guys. Appreciate you for joining me. Do you want to talk MLS? We talked a little MLS last week, but Jordan Morris did win the Rookie of the Year award, and MLS Cup final is going to be next Sunday. And Jordan Morris will be playing in that, right? Yeah, yeah. Seattle will be. No, they're going uh, to Toronto. They're going to Toronto. Do Do you have a tip for us? Uh not not really. But and if you so had to, if your life was on the line. Who are you back into in the MLS Cup final? Oh, Toronto. You heard it here first. Congratulations, I think... Toronto. <laughs> yeah, God, they've already won. But yeah, you know, you get to host the league final at home. What do you guys think about that? As I find that really, really weird. Um, I was actually speaking about that with uh, someone at work earlier because I didn't realize that it was hosted at home. But apparently the team with the best regular season record, is that right? Yeah, the team with the better regular season record, so... Um, yeah, yeah, because they're, I, neither of them had the best record in either side yeah. of the league, I guess. Yeah, the best between the, the two teams in the final. Yeah, I, I do find that weird. Like, you play a whole playoff thing with no home field advantage for either well, club. Yeah, yeah it's, it's two legs, a so home and away. Yeah, so nobody yeah. has home advantage for the entire playoffs. And then you get to the final, it's only like the most important game. And then you're like, oh, guys, that stuff that finished like two months ago now, now that matters again. It's um, Yeah, that feels a bit odd. But I guess it, it's a nice, it gives more incentive, I guess, uh, to, to finish the season strongly in the regular season if you've already qualified for the playoffs. So does that. Yeah, exactly. It does reward you in a league that doesn't give you... I mean, you do get a trophy, but no one considers you champion just for finishing with the highest points total. And it's interesting, we don't really have a national stadium here either. We don't have like a Wembley or like Olympiastadion that hosts cup finals or something of, of the nature, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's also true. And then I guess you don't want the, the final to be two-legged. No, I mean, I it seems like more like a South American thing. I think it'd be really cool, but it actually, everyone, would, everyone in America would hate it so much. Yeah, I was actually reading <laughs> something um, earlier, and it's the first season ever that they've had playoff system in Japan, in the A-League. Um, and I think I've read that the team that finished 11th in the regular season won a two-legged final to to win the entire Japanese league and whoever finished top, I think it's Osako, they are furious. Oh, I'm sure. But, I mean, if you won it over a playoff in a two-legged final, you'd kind of deserve it a lot more. They finished 11th. Oh, no, I'm not saying you deserve to be in the playoff. That's like the NFL. Like, I think the best team rarely wins in the playoff system because yeah. weird Sad things happen. And that's that's why you play the whole season to see who is the best team. You play, the, you play everyone twice in football. In this football, I mean, not in NFL, but... We've already mentioned it. As an Arsenal fan, I'm all for only counting what you do in April and May. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, you know, get hot at the right time and you win. Yeah. Oh, I actually wrote an article, I'm not plugging it, but I wrote an article in May about uh, the relegation promotion playoff in Germany. Uh, because it's shit. It's like they're, they're the worst games of the season. Because you get like you get like <laughs> from the third worst team in the Bundesliga, so they're not very good. And then they play the third best team from the second division, which uh, are usually not very good as well. So you get two teams that aren't very good playing against each other, <laughs> uh, and there's so much at stake over the two games that none of them, neither of them, are ready to risk anything. So it usually goes to extra time in the second game when Hamburg then score and then win. Um, and <laughs> it's just the most. This year it was Eintracht, but Eintracht are in what? They're in third now. Or yeah, fourth. I think it's like the whole. Yeah. 
I, I mean, Gladbach as well have saved themselves in two very like dreadful games uh, and then went on to finish fourth in the, the, the full season. Uh, it has been a springboard for teams like Hoffenheim as well. Um, however, um, the games themselves are dreadful and I feel like if you're finishing that low, you should either, right, they should either say, right, two teams go up, go up or three teams go up and you have a, a playoff similar to in the in England, which for my money produces some of the best games of, of the season. Like the, the playoffs are usually really, really great in England, but in Germany they're just dreadful. They're the, wor- the worst games of the season. In England and in in the MLS as well, the whole thing with the playoffs is a reward system. Like you're fighting to win something. And in Germany, you've got one team, not just a team, but a team that's been losing almost all season. And then they're fighting to avoid a punishment. And that's, yeah, the whole mindset that you go into that game with is completely different. Yeah, it definitely is a, a different attitude that sets you up more defensively. You're, yeah, you're, like you said, you're playing not to lose as opposed to trying to win win promotion, to win something. Of course, it is for the second division team, but they're they're already fighting an uphill battle. They're also generally, like Connor said, not particularly good to watch. Tell you what is actually generally good, though. Like, as in that format works between the second and third league, but I think that's because the third league actually generally has like quite a lot of strong teams in it. So as in like the, the <laughs> gap between second and third tier in Germany is not very wide. Like, like most newly promoted teams do quite okay, uh, but then the gap between the Bundesliga and the like the second tier is really really wide, and that's why you get teams coming up and then going straight back down again. Um, so that's something I think that German football needs to address actually um, somehow. I'm not I'm not sure how they'll do it, but like, they need to look at that. And I think having this third tier that's been professional since 2008. Uh, I think in the long term that will help that, but that's a, that's a discussion for another pod, another day. Yeah, someone else's podcast can do that. I think that's all for us today. So, Lewis, I want to thank you for joining us. No, thank you for having me on. It's been fun. Connor, as always, thanks. Thanks for waking up to uh, <laughs> hop right on the pod. Oh uh, yeah, well, you know, anything for you guys. So, um, see you next week, basically. All right. Goodbye from us. Thanks for listening. You can follow Connor on Twitter at Connor Garrett. You can follow Lewis Ambrose at LG Ambrose, and you can follow me at Jack Grimsey. We're all working really hard to get our profiles out for the second handbook. So those are coming soon. You guys will get all that content pretty soon. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Scout It Says.